0: starting with the question again, you guys, and here it is, right? Apart from their superstar status, what do actresses Mindy Kaling and Gwyneth Paltrow, Bollywood star Priyanka Chopra, and her hubby singer Nick Jonas all have in common? Do you have any guesses? Okay, no, no, no. All right, I'll tell you. They're all financial backers of Olipop. Have you heard about this? This is the healthy soda brand founded and formulated by a guy named Ben Goodwin. And I know now you're like, Wait, what, Liz? I mean, you, you've you brought us amazing beverage guys before with riveting stories, right? You remember the Coco Vita coconut water guy, Mike Kirbin? He spent all his bar mitzvah money, maxed out his credit cards to eventually turn his idea into a multi-billion dollar brand. And then we had Ben Weiss, who founded Buy, Buy Beverage, which he sold to Dr. Pepper Snapple for more than a billion. We had the kombucha guy, G.T. Dave's now global powerhouse So where does Olipop fit in? I asked the same thing. I mean, and I found out it is this soda with flavors ranging from vintage cola to strawberry and cherry vanilla, ginger lemon, and the now sold out, you can't get your hands on it, banana cream. What's so different here, though, right? Olipop is made from, you ready? Chicory root, Jerusalem artichoke, cactus, elm bark, and marshmallow root. Yes, a, a drink made from botanicals and plant fiber that kids and adults and celebrities cannot get enough of equally as intriguing the guy who co-founded it ben goodwin he grew up in poverty he watched his mom endure an abusive relationship found a bit too much comfort in comfort food and in turn was bullied in school for his weight so here's the question how did that kid become a titan in the beverage world by creating a brand that's changing everything we thought we knew about soda ben welcome to everyone talks to liz how are you
1: Thanks so much for having me on, Liz. And yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Still still working towards that Titan hood, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see if we can
0: get there. Listen, we just promoted you to it. So let me work with Fair that.
1: Enough. Fair enough.
0: I love Jerusalem artichokes, but I love them steamed with butter. You're telling us that you put it in your soda?
1: Yeah, right. So, you know, the basic idea here is that it does have all those healthy ingredients in it, right? And mm-hmm. they're also... You know, specifically in the Jerusalem artichoke, we're using the inulin, which is a prebiotic fiber. But obviously, if a drink tasted like Jerusalem artichoke, we'd be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you know, the whole goal was to take all these healthy ingredients and then basically to slip them into something that looks like and tastes exactly like a soda and for all intents and purposes is. Um, And that's really the way that people experience our product. You know what I
0: used to do with my daughter when she was little? She would not eat vegetables. I would vertically slice open a McDonald's French fry, chop up broccoli, stuff it in there and reseal it. So she wouldn't know. But I can tell everybody right now, I have taste tested this and it is Unbelievable. It tastes like soda. All of the flavors, vintage cola, strawberries, cream, the whole thing. It's stunning. It's refreshing. That's what I love about it. But I I mean, I want to go back to the beginning because it's all glamorous and nice that you've got celebrities investing and we'll get to that in a minute. But you faced hardship very early in your childhood when your dad passed away. You were just a baby. Talk about that and, and how you then developed unhealthy habits and and the life-changing moment that made you turn that around.
1: Yeah. um, You know, I do think a large, it is somewhat of a common thread that entrepreneurs oftentimes face hardship early on in life. And, you know, I think there's elements that come out of overcoming adversity. Obviously a lot of people go through difficulty and it's tough to get out and they get stuck there. Um, But some folks, I think learn a lot of resilience through that process. And if you can get past it, it can give you a lot of skills that make you uniquely suited for the difficulties of entrepreneurialism. But as you discussed, you know, my my father did pass away when I was a year and a half old. Um, You know, my, my mother was pretty impacted by that, ended up getting in a relationship with uh, someone who was an abusive drug addict. And I grew up, I grew up in those conditions. Mm. Uh, We also were, you know, we lived in a, a well-off area, uh, Monterey, California, for those of you who are familiar. But we are ironically like, very poor to live in that area. So, you know, before I was 15, I think I had to move like 13 different times. And, wow. you know, I would say that that's obviously really challenging. And, and some of the trauma with that from that stays with you. Um, but, you know, I did have a pretty profound breakthrough moment, actually, when I was 14. It's relatively rudimentary. I literally just Really focused on the, the way that everything that I've been through is, is driving me behaviorally is just not going to create a good life. It was as simple as, you know, I probably just have this one life and I actually really want it to be good. And so refocused on what is my locus of control? What can I change? Uh, went through a pretty big nutrition revolution, exercise, eventually started getting mental health through therapy. Uh, and that whole combination really shifted my the trajectory of my life um, and also made me very focused around personal development and self-actualization. And, and that really set me up uh, to become an entrepreneur later on.
0: But at age 14, to have the, well, we say in Yiddish, sechel, the knowledge, the ability to wrap your mind around that and say, this is something I've got to do and I don't have parents to help me and I'm being bullied at school, um, that that must have come from uh, quite a deep well within you.
1: Yeah, to this day, I don't, you know, I uh, I have, later in life, I did end up getting a brain scan, which is a, you know, weird thing to have to do. But I did get a 16-channel EGG, and like, now I have some empirical data that, I do. I do empirically have a very different brain in terms of the way my brain works really? than most folks, and I'm sure that's part of the equation. Um, you know, and but the other portion of it is, I think there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors. You know, part of it was it simply was unacceptable for me to imagine that the rest of my life was going to play out in the way that it started. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I really did hook onto the concept that there there definitely is such thing as having a good life or a great life. Um, and that's something that I was really wanted to, to aspire towards. And that, you know, really did kind of pull me forward. terms um, of in, in my process. I would say just, just for the record, for whatever it's worth, I actually was fortunate enough. I didn't really experience a lot of bullying. I, I definitely did experience a lot of isolation though. You know, I was, the other kids kind of recognize something's off with this one. <laughs> and, <laughs> You know, kind okay. of steered clear a bit more, which was which was a bit tricky, but certainly plenty to deal with at the home front yeah. to to kind of make up for it.
0: Well, it took Leviathan strength, I'm sure. But you you made it to high school graduation. You did make it to college, but you didn't make it through college. Why'd you drop out? Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, so totally. I mean, when I was in high school, college was definitely a target, right? Um, on, the mo- on my mom's side of the family, you know, my grandfather was a professor at Ohio State University, um, and her side of the family was very academic. And mm-hmm. so that was her, you know, her desire for me. My sister has, actually, you know, a Ph.D. from Stanford, so certainly was a route that um, people were interested in for me. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, coming from a place of, of not having a lot of money, I really did not like the concept that i'd be constantly straddled with student loan debt um i also just could kind of see pretty clearly that you know kids going into that system with money were going to have a consistent advantage and that really didn't feel fair to me i can be quite stubborn so you know that was one piece of it the other piece of it was you know i had a mentor at the time um who won a supreme court case by himself without legal representation in the 1980s. Wow. He ended up be you know, I ended up working with him actually throwing uh, events. And, um, you know, I got a lot of kind of his perspective, but I became really focused on this concept of I really want to learn what to think or sorry, how to think, not what to think. Yeah. And understanding myself enough to know that I've got to be really fascinated by what I'm doing to keep myself really engaged. And, and so I decided just to pop out, get into entrepreneurialism.
0: And what it really kind of crystallized for you was that you were most engaged when it came to what people put inside their bodies and you envisioned creating beverages i guess that that intelligently as you like to say nourish the life within us this is everyone talks to liz and we'll be right back we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to talk about your first drink that you created. It was a kombucha drink, and that led to OB probiotic soda, which you then eventually sold. But how do you just wake up and say, I'm going to start a drink when you're not a chemist, bruh? I know that much.
1: (laughs) It's it's about as dumb as it sounds. (laughs) You know, it is funny because. The beverage industry does have a very high failure rate, right? Which I didn't know when I first got into it. And kind of thank God because, you know, it would have been would to have been dissuaded. I mean, only 2% of beverage brands make it $2 million and only 2% of those make it past $10 million, right? So, um, but for whatever reason, I liked beverage and I was attracted to it um, and I had wanted to do something with coconut water and it, that's before coconut water was really a thing, but I knew I didn't have any idea where to start. I had a friend, uh, he was starting a kombucha company, okay. and I joined up with him, and you know, and he and I started working on that uh, project together. And that was really for me to cut my teeth and learn just what exactly I was doing. But during that process, I learned what the microbiome is. And for those of you who listeners who don't know what the microbiome is, it's all of the non-human microorganisms in and on our body, and they're concentrated in our digestive tract. And they're actually really, really important uh, for our overall health. That's part of why people take probiotics. But I learned about the microbiome, and then I learned about the brain-gut axis, which really tied into um, you know how we think and how we feel. It's so impacted by our microbiome and what we're eating and our metabolic stability. And that really blew my mind open, and that's where I knew I wanted to put my, my focus moving forward.
0: Well, sure, put your focus. But let me just open a window to our viewers at the moment. When you think about creating any kind of beverage or food, you've got to think about packaging. You've got to think about how you're going to get it on store shelves and approved mm-hmm. by, by all the regulators. Oh, my God. I mean, this must have been quite a learning experience. Talk about the initial mountains you had to climb in your quest for knowledge and creation yeah
1: i mean how much time do you have i think the, the the way to kind of simplify it is you know you're you're totally you're, you're totally right i mean beverage really is business and expert mode right and as somebody who didn't have a beverage uh background or a business background it you're really getting thrown into the water with sharks and you have to save your own life while building your boat and not knowing how to build your boat. So that's just, you know, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I'm wired in a way where that kind of reality makes me feel alive and kind of fascinates me, okay. right? And then you also really learn what you're made out of, which is always something that I think is, is motivating, but um, you're totally correct. There's, there's so many different obstacles thrown at you, getting, you know, and everything's a catch-22. You need the money to get the team, but you need the team to get the money. You mm-hmm. need the distribution, to get onto shelves, but you need shelves in order to pick up the distribution. Um, and you have to charm and strategize and uh, you know work effectively to bridge all those gaps. And that is pretty standard for the entrepreneurial journey.
0: Okay. And what a journey because the second iteration of your probiotic journey uh, actually did quite well. You ended up having to sell it, and that's where mm-hmm. Olipop comes in. I need to know about the uh, genesis of that because just to fast forward a little bit, what amazed me, you guys, was that within two years, Ben was clocking a million in sales of Olipop. And by last year, he hit more than 30 million. So what what brought you to Olipop and how did you want to make it different from your previous beverages?
1: Yeah, so a couple of big switches, you know, I think... Piece number one is I kind of had the idea around, you know, we had spent four years doing the uh, research and development. I worked with an organic chemist, a microbiologist, built my own microbiology lab from scratch. That was not particularly easy. What? Um, Oh, my God. uh, I actually built three of them over the course of time. So, uh, you know, going through the whole process and putting all of that work into creating something, because it's always been crucial to me. I'm really not on board with the kind of elitist health food proposition I don't think that healthy food should taste like vinegar. I don't think it should cost $9 Mm and taste like kale. I really feel that healthy food should be very available and accessible for as many people as it's humanly possible. That's my proposition. And if you really care about making an impact, I think, you know, hopefully you have some motivation along those lines. So that's always been a big motivator for me, especially post-Kombucha days. Um, But. Uh, You know, we put so much work into having these kind of technological breakthroughs around the product and uh, sitting in the lab one day and I was like, you know, it's kind of a hubristic idea, but it was like, look, soda has 97% household penetration. It's where most people are in terms of their taste preferences. So why don't I actually try to take this cool thing that we've made and put it into this kind of Trojan horse of a soda to make it as accessible as humanly possible, and Obi taught us a lot of g- really good lessons that hey, people are actually uh, ready for this. I mean, we had a we had a really high profile uh, board advisory member who ended up quitting on us, and he literally screamed into the <laughs> into the phone that we, because Soda had been down for the past decade, right? He screamed into the phone. Uh, you guys have a gift from God with your technological breakthrough and you're throwing it away making it a soda. But we felt really confident, you know, in, in the vision and what we were trying to accomplish and so we went, we went ahead anyway. But, but on Olipop, you know, there's very significant changes to the nutritional strategy centering more around fiber, prebiotics and nutritional diversity. Uh, Because the data, you know, from what I've seen, that's a more effective strategy for stabilizing blood sugar and helping digestion than some of the commercially available probiotics, which is more of what I was doing in the past. And then we're doubling, tripling down on the idea of uh, a new type of soda, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to create a new category in soda that retains the accessibility and the nostalgia, but brings in an actual health-contributing component.
0: Right. So they have a root beer, you guys, that is unbelievable. And these are cans. These aren't the fancy, interestingly-shaped glass bottles with the rainbow stickers on the front that some of these kombucha (laughs) companies, you know, with with like a a Buddha, you know, looking like they're meditating. Mm -hmm. Meantime, I'm totally stressed and I'm thirsty, you know? give it to me. Uh, you crack it open. That sound of the can opening is just so awesome. But you know, what I find fascinating is that I believe you expect to have a run rate of a hundred million by this December. So yep. I don't know, can drinks go viral? Cause you're still pretty young. Was there that trigger moment where people heard about it and there was a stampede?
1: You know, there's a couple things to having a successful business, like Business 101. Uh, and the core of a successful business should relate to the product, right? You have to have product market fit, and you've got to have, a, in my opinion, a great product. Uh, if that's there, you get the traction for everything else. So we've been really, really lucky, uh, but also a ton of work has gone into creating this outcome, and all the experience I've had has obviously helped with that. But something that where we, when we put all the top on the, sh- on the shelf, it just moves, right? The price point, especially compared to the rest of the functional beverages, is attractive. The flavor profile and the branding is attractive. Then people like to try it, and they're like, oh, my God, this is what it tastes like? Like, this is crazy. And then, oh, here, the sh- it's got three grams of sugar, but it, it tastes like something that has 40 grams of sugar? Like, this is crazy. And that builds a really deep relationship with the product and you end up having with people who do tell their friends and family. um, And then, you know, we can't talk about it because of, uh, you know, FDA and FTC regulations, but a lot of people write to us or get in contact with us who are using Olipop to manage some pretty serious health issues um, are having, you know, pretty incredible experiences around that. And then those people are very, very motivated to spread the word because Mm -hmm. (laughs) not only did it help them with their issue, but it's just now they just can drink a soda. Well, they listen, I, weren't able to I can do remember
0: being at the Cleveland Clinic at an event and I was sitting at a table with 10 of possibly the most renowned doctors in the world on body health, et cetera. And I said, OK, you guys were having lunch. What is you have to tell me now? Tell me the one <laughs> thing I should absolutely never eat, because I, I'm big in health. I mean, I'm Californian, right? I was eating yeah, alfalfa yeah. sprouts when I was five. But. I love chocolate and, and I'll, I'm occasionally into the I need two orders of crispy bacon, you know. So I'm waiting for them to say stuff like that. Don't eat that. I said, what should I never put in my body? They all said full sugar soda. You guys, it's yeah. it's poison going through your bloodstream. That is just horrible. And And here you have the ability, as you said, a Trojan horse. It tastes like it, but it's so healthy. And then every fast-growing company hits a pressure point, right, where you need some outside money to help meet spiking demand, which is what you have. And this, folks, is where the celeb investors came in. But in a twist, it was the celebrity, you know, Priyanka Chopra, Nick Jonas, Mindy Kalin, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, they sought Pop out versus the other way around, right? I mean, they they wanted to put their money into your product. And
1: by the way, it's still happening. Uh, We've just... I can't talk about it yet, but in a very, in very recent history, um, it looks like somebody very, you know, big is is signing up, which is great. again, we didn't seek them out. They're an organic fan. Camila Caballo is another great example. Oh, yeah. You know, love, love her and love her work. Um, and she's a big fan, but yeah, that's always been a big factor for us. Is there's a lot of, brands that, you know, pay the $100,000 or pay the $3 million and get the the mention on Instagram or whatever. And the whole relationship is very transactional.
0: Yeah,
1: it's always been super crucial for us that we actually have people involved who are drinking the product, understand the product, love the product. Um, and if you set that up correctly, again, you end up in a very fortunate position, like where we are, where they kind of step forward when they hear that you're raising money. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, we've been very fortunate to be on that side of the fence.
0: But then, of course, there's nothing like—and it's not exactly product placement. It's not like Steven Spielberg using Reese's Pieces in E.T. or anything like that. But (laughs) the movie Minions, The Rise of Gru. Okay, a partnership sprouts up with Universal Pictures. How did that germinate? Because now that banana cream soda that the Minions love to drink— you can't get it. I mean, it was totally sold out. That became yes. a huge thing.
1: Yeah, and that, you know, blew my mind also, uh because That's- I will tell you, you know, I had the concept of a banana cream soda like 9 months before I started working on it, but I was just I just thought to myself, this is that's an insane flavor. I've never, <laughs> sounds intriguing, but I'm never going to do a banana cream soda for just so many reasons. Also, I hate the taste of artificial bananas. Right. So, you know, that was a big concern. Um, then, you know, Universal reached out to us and feel really appreciative for that partnership. They, they were great partners. And, you know, we, we, appreciate, we appreciate the fact that they reached out. They've got a lot of fantastic properties. We'll likely be working with them more in the future. Um, but, you know, they have Rise of Grew coming out. Uh, they had a, sh- a very short list of brands that had the right kind of traction with the public, were innovative, that had the kind of brand characteristics that they thought would align with Minions, and we were on that list. And you know, talk- chatted to them, and then throughout the course of all the conversations, it becomes apparent to me that bananas are the Minions' favorite flavor. And then now, Universal's kind of proposing this idea of like, well, what if we did a custom flavor? And knowing the work that was ahead of me uh, like, and hand trepidatiously and said, well, I did have this idea for banana cream soda. And the rest is kind of history because uh, it, uh <laughs> yeah, you're right. It sold out really, really quickly. Uh, people gave really good feedback around it. So we'll see if we re-release it. Uh, but it yeah, blows my mind that people. Uh, well, how how did
0: you make the banana flavor? You
1: know, it's uh, – yeah, it was an in-depth process for sure. Um, it turns out that it's, it's – so I'm always big on ingredient selection. Um, as a formulator, that's where all good work starts. And so I'm always sampling um, ingredients from all over the world when I'm considering it for, for a flavor. And it turned out that it was the, a certain type of banana puree from Guatemala – that mm. had the taste profile that I needed. Not mm. Ecuador, not Costa Rican. I tried those two. They didn't taste right. Uh, but this one type of banana uh, really fit. And then it was, okay, I have this really good banana. Now, how do I build in the rest of the banana flavor and a multi-pronged vanilla strategy so that the vanilla can counterbalance the, the banana correctly? And I ended up using three different types of vanilla to build in that <gasps> the kind of counter position. And that ended up creating the right, flavor and smell, but it, it was, yeah, it was really tricky because I'm like, I cannot even believe I'm making a banana soda on top of that. It's a partnership with minions. People are <laughs> going to love it or hate it. So put some real, you know, but I do that with all the flavors. I really do. There are, they are labors of love for me. I mm-hmm. put a lot of myself into them and uh, you know, when, it, when they are meaningful to our customers, it, it really does mean a lot to me.
0: I am saying re-release banana cream. I want to re-release because I want to try that one.
1: <laughs> I will see. It's I'm not supposed to be saying this, but there's got to be your case that you sitting around somewhere. Let me see if I can <laughs> break you off a sneaky can or two. Oh, um, If <gasps> My you can God. give me your feedback. I'm
0: so excited. Uh, ben?
1: Shouldn't have said that on air, but
0: I, I will. I, I was, love the story. It. I love yeah. your journey. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Leave our listeners with one kernel, an organic kernel of advice for anybody wanting or dreaming of starting a business of their own?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I would say the thing that doesn't get talked about often enough um, is, you know, a lot of people in the business field or going into business um, are looking for kind of tactical strategies around their business. And that makes tons of sense, right? Like, how do I get on the shelf? How do I do this thing? The thing that doesn't get talked about enough is kind of what it's gonna take out of you as a person and what the psychology is, because that that Tony Robbins adage, like psychology is destiny. And I I think that's totally true, right? Mm -hmm. So really understanding that a big part of being successful in entrepreneurialism uh, is being able to be adaptive, being able to basically come face to face with your own uh, limitations, learning how to accept and work with some of them, And then learning how to evolve past other of them. But, you know, depthening your own EQ and self-awareness as you go through the journey is actually your biggest superpower. Um, And, yeah, I think it needs to be talked about a a lot more.
0: Oh, I think that is really crucial. And I haven't heard a lot of our guests uh, winnow it down to such a crystal clear vision, but know thyself and you can improve yourself and get over certain stumbling blocks and turn them into stepping stones, as we like to say here on Everyone Talks to Liz. Ben, we wish you the best (laughs) of luck. Good luck.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it.
0: Ben, good one. And by the way, try it. I'm telling you, crystal clear. It quenches the thirst because I had to break myself of Diet Coke a couple of years ago. How many of you guys have done that? I it was I, I was realizing I was drinking two a day and I thought, that can't be right. And then you do the penny test. No, that's, that's, not, that's urban legend where you pour the stuff over a penny and the penny turns clean. But uh, it's just not good for you. Okay. Sorry, Coke. Um, here we are with a great story once again of inspiration. You can do it. Try it. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, I always appreciate you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. I know who you are. I can see you in your cars. I can see you listening through your earbuds. And I, I appreciate it more than you'll ever know. I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on The Claim and Countdown.